All righty. You guys all set? I'm set. Kenji, you going to hold me to the fire? Uh, nope. Nope. You're not going to keep me honest? All right. Good. <laughs> This episode of It Will Probably Be Okay was recorded on August 4th, 2020. Today on It Will Probably Be Okay, we dive deep into the esoteric mysteries of the truth. We condemn those who would use the truth to belial our trust, and we take a brave and bold stance on a topic of minimal importance in the search for answers. I ask, can a genius, a buffoon, and a storyteller find room in their hearts to live? And would they even want to? I don't know what that means, but I'm Nick. I'm a communication consultant. And I'm yeah. Kenji. I ran over Nick just now, and I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and my name is Gabe Wollenberg, and I am putting out a package trace on my Chinese mystery seeds. <laughs> oh, you got some nice. They haven't no, he, showed up yet. He's I'm waiting really... for oh. He's waiting for Before we start, though, let's have some mini topics. What's toming your Bosley, people? I have a mini topic that I just want to talk through quickly with you guys. So I want to talk about one of the most underappreciated members of the animal kingdom. Did, did you guys know that in 2018, over 60,000 people got tick-borne diseases? I, I did not know that. I hate ticks. Did you get a tick? I, I've had a tick before. Now, there is... One relatively common animal who eats ticks. Here's what I'd like to know. Do either of you know who that animal is? I have a guess. Uh, eats ticks. Eats ticks. Birds? No. Okay, no. Gabe? Some birds do, but this animal would be the Virginia possum. You are correct. I am talking about the possum. No, they, they actually eat other stuff. I'm going to get to that. Oh, okay. So one possum kills approximately 5,000 ticks every season. Some possums, like the Virginia possum, are resistant to venomous species. Possums pretty much can't get rabies, and they eat other pests besides ticks, like cockroaches, mice, rats, snails, and slugs. They're also America's only marsupial. So I just I just wanted to just take a little time today to appreciate the possum. I know most people, when they see a possum, they think they're gross looking. I actually think they're a little bit cute. I do, too. Yeah. Anything they're... anything with teeth out that come out the side of its head like that can't help but <laughs> look goofy. I used to Google a possum. I just wanted to take a little time today to talk about opossums. I don't believe they're appreciated as much as they should be. What's the difference between a possum and an opossum? The same thing. So why are they called possums? Are what? Ugh, my entire oh Jesus Christ! Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the same animals. I'm not going to laugh at that joke, Gabe. No, you're not. No, you're not, not going to laugh at that joke, Gabe. <laughs> we had one. Oh, I get <laughs> okay. 
No, no, no. It's okay. We had an opossum in our yard not too long ago. Didn't live in our yard, just came in our yard. Our dog ran up to it, and the possum played dead in the yard, which is what possums do. It's what they're known for. But they're, they're much cooler than that, and they're much more important to our ecosystem than that. And for anybody who you know is, is worried about ticks or whatever, the possums are out there. They're eating those ticks up. They're keeping us safe. So shout yeah. out, possums. They are, I think, unfairly judged for having the bald tail. Yeah, the bald People tail. People don't yeah. like a bald tail. That's no, really what no. it is. You want okay. some fur on that Why tail. Why the fuck do you know what a possum looks like so well? Like, what the fuck is I, wrong with you? I live in Jefferson County. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I live because the chickens and I get to talking. <laughs> You know, honestly, like I, I forgot about this. I trapped a, a chipmunk in the bird feeder bin today. And as I was getting my camera out, it burst through, crawled across my face and ran out into the street. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, that's Watertown. <laughs> These are the type of things that happen in Watertown. Yep. Well, there you go. <laughs> I'm so glad. <clears throat> True facts. Okay, well, my mini topic is like not necessarily a mini topic, but like my email address has existed since I was in undergrad. So since like 2009, 2008. And <clears throat> Every now and again, I go on this, like, I need to just cleanse my inbox. Because right now I have, like, 2,262 emails in my inbox. And the problem that I always run into is that I, so this time around, like, this week, since I have a week off before I start next, my my, my new job Yay. Um, is to just go through and delete emails for things that I know are just send me repetitive shits. Like, since March happened and every as soon as all those companies were sending out the these uncertain times emails i have checked out of checking emails like i do not check emails at all so i've been trying to like go back and make a concerted effort to like clear some stuff out and one of my biggest issues is that it's actually emotionally hard because like i did this three years ago and i came up on um some conversation i i had with my mom so when I was in undergrad, she would have been in Barbados. And so like we'd email back and forth or whatever. And I hate like accidentally stumbling onto these conversations. So this time I have been very like intentional about the things that I sh- like search. But those fucking like emails from like back then just they surface because like when I get to the bottom of a pile, I start seeing these conversations and then I don't want to like keep going through deleting stuff. But I really would love to get my inbox, I don't know, sub 2000. But it's really, really hard. Are you familiar with the concept of email bankruptcy? No. Where you just archive it all? No, no. I mean, well, what happens if you archive it? Like, can I get it again? Occasionally, my email will get away from me and I'll just be like... There might be something important in here, but I'll never do it. So in a moment of honesty, I just archive the whole thing. <laughs> oh. And then I wonder 
why I was let go. <laughs> That's how that works out for me. <laughs> I could probably do that. Yeah. See, email bankruptcy. There's nothing a little irresponsibility can't solve. But you can still access them from search. If yeah, like- they're still there. Yeah, yeah. Is this a is this a thing you came up with? No, it's a real thing. Now, if you <laughs> it's a real thing. If you were being an adult about it, you might send a note saying, "Hey, I've I've declared email bankruptcy. If you're waiting for me to reply on something, you know, go ahead and go ahead and send me again. Sorry." <laughs> But yeah, I no. Think... E- email, this is not my te- my technology. I'm aware of people who have who use this regularly, you know. And I guess it's a position of privilege to be like, I don't know. <laughs> I get a lot of emails, so could you maybe send that again if it's important? I do get a lot of emails. Well, exactly. Email is broken. Sometimes I try to make a concerted effort to go through for any of the latest emails to like unsubscribe from things that I just no longer give a fuck about. But then, like, there's always. Like, I had to unsubscribe from Meetup emails because it's like, I haven't used Meetup the entire year because, like, pandemic. So, like, I don't need to get these notifications about things that I'm absolutely not going to. Yeah. And then so what you do is you click the unsubscribe and then it says, oh, you have to log in to unsubscribe. And you're like, no, I guess this is spam. And you click spam and you go. Exactly. I use that analogy. You make it too hard for me to unsubscribe. You are now spam. Now you're spam. (laughs) And I'm a marketing professional, so I know how much that hurts. (laughs) So do you have to declare email bankruptcy? Only in your heart. You just need you need to speak it out loud. Yes. Well, looks like email bankruptcy is here. <laughs> Select all and archive. <laughs> ah, it feels good. Cleared out my inbox. <laughs> then what you do is you take a screenshot of it and then you tweet inbox zero. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how they do it. I have a small mini topic. Did you guys happen to see the letter that I sent today to our local health department? I yeah. did. So those of you on the podcast who hasn't seen it, um, I wrote an email to the local health department saying, I saw a bunch of people not complying with mask rules. It seems unsafe. Please close the local farmer's market until they can figure out how they're going to do this. But at the top of it, I put the header health desk (laughs) at the very top. (laughs) So Gaia comes in and she's like, what's the health desk? And I said, well, I'm sitting on it. This is it right here. It's the health desk. (laughs) where I keep my computer. (laughs) Do you think that'll work? (laughs) I think they'll be incredibly confused for a bit. Yeah, like I think everybody who sees that is going to be confused about it and just pass it to the next person up. So I think it'll eventually get to where you want it to go. (laughs) Not for the reasons you want it to. (laughs) Which I guess success. Yeah. Now from my health desk, <laughs> I I had I have to admit I did I did roll it in roll it back it, at one point said health and safety desk. <laughs> <sighs> Man, that's great. <laughs> well, for some reason, when I saw that, I just kind of like. I didn't like think really deeply about it, so I just thought that meant you were sending it to the health desk, not that you were sending it from the health, from the health desk stationery. Yeah. 
<laughs> maybe I'll, maybe next time I'll write hot probs. On the top. <laughs> oh Jesus! Oh, we got some hot probs here, <laughs> Mayor. Mayor, we've got the latest from the health desk. <laughs> It looks Don't like... bother me. I'm reading these hot probs. <laughs> it looks like we got to close the farmer's market. <laughs> the health desk is upset. <laughs> well, that's what I was going for. <laughs> the problem is it's the tyranny of the template, right? Like the design needs something up there, but putting my name up yeah, there seems so yeah. ostentatious. <laughs> ah. Alrighty. Today, I want to try to introduce this thought technology that I have seen floating around in the zeitgeist for the last couple of weeks, and that is the relationship between truth and trust. And I thought it would make sense if we started with definitions, maybe jot something down that is your definition of truth and then also your definition of trust. Truth is the rail, the rail rail. Truth is the real real. All right. Built on facts. Okay, good. I, I, I wasn't so eloquent, but I said objective reality-based facts. All right. Did we Excellent. win? Those are pretty good. That's pretty good. What did you guys get for trust? Trust is a belief in something or someone. I went similar. I said a belief in a source of truth. Oh, look at you being all dictionary, wiktionary. No, if he was being dictionary, he would have worked a semicolon in there. Um, (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So trust. What I like about what you got out of it is you both clearly drew that line between truth being reliant on facts and trust being reliant on a relationship. And I think that is really interesting because I don't see where and what the two have to do with each other, but they're clearly linked, right? Like there's clearly a connection between trust and truth. But before we can even attempt to consider what trust and truth have to do with one another, the first thing I need to tell you about is the big fish. I'm going to start by playing a Volkswagen commercial from 1998, I think. And I'm, and then we'll get into it after that. Great day in the morning. What once was lost now is found. I thought these were extinct. That's what they said about the coelacanth. A full-size bear, just one of over 40 features now standard on the new Jetta. It's a prehistoric fish. Disappeared over 10,000 years ago. And they caught one off the coast of Madagascar. So what we're talking about is the coelacanth, big fish. The coelacanth was long thought to be extinct. 
1938, in South Africa, in the town of East London, a woman named Marjorie got a phone call from a local fisherman who said, hey, I think you need to come see this. And it turns out he had found and she had identified a creature that had been extinct for the last 66 million years. Fascinating. The idea that suddenly, just before Christmas in South Africa, a dinosaur was found and no longer deemed extinct. That moment, on one side of that moment, it is true that there is no such thing as a coelacanth. And in the other side, it's, it is there are, in fact, coelacanths in the world. That is a fact that suddenly changed. But on both sides of that moment, both statements are true. There are no coelacanths. The coelacanth lives. So suddenly the coelacanth appears. And over time, the world begins to accept that this living dinosaur is in fact real, so much so that eventually it makes its way into a Volkswagen Jetta commercial <laughs> and becomes a sought after fish in Animal Crossing to catch and sell for 10,000 bells. This thing that was untrue becomes true now and is part of and is thing that we all accept. So what happens when we learn that actually the coelacanth that, that Marjorie discovered is actually a different animal than the coelacanth long thought extinct. So now what? Is the coelacanth extinct or not? It's a different animal, not the same species kind of, but it's not exactly the same as the our, our fossil record. So what is true? Is there a coelacanth or not, Nick? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I, I I I don't feel like there is. I feel like there's a a different animal that perhaps was never discovered for, before that is like it was a discovery of a new animal. So would you be surprised to know that ultimately it was decided that through the methods that big science declares things independent species that the coelacanth was determined to be close enough to its original and to be technically a different animal, but pretty much would be the same species. So you and I are different people, but we're both humans, right? That kind of thing. Sure. So we still don't really know, do we? Right. Is this the coelacanth or is this not? And it depends on what source of truth you trust. And in my case, I, if I'm looking for coelacanth truth, I'm going to go to QAnon. 
Perhaps I should have should have been in a different frame of mind when I wrote this wrote this bit. But why didn't why doesn't QAnon have a hot take on whether or not the coelacanth is still with us? The truth is, the truth is, facts change all the time, right? Facts change based on understanding, and because of that, truth is by necessity malleable. So we're going to turn now to a guy named Samuel Arbsman. 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 And he wrote a book called The Half-Life of Facts. And it is this fascinating look on the degradation of factual information over time. It turns out facts are on an unending march toward obsolescence. As knowledge and understanding diverge from current models, facts change. And so as facts change, so do necessarily our beliefs. And that makes sense, right? We know, we know today that doctors in the Middle Ages were just ambitious barbers, right? And that today, dental science is mostly about buying and selling boats and motorcycles and not really about science. We know this now. We've learned these things. So let me tell you about a guy named Harvey Lehman. Harvey Lehman studied the changes and contributions to various fields over the courses of hundreds of years and basically did a big literature study saying, okay, so here's when this was discovered and how quickly we learned more knowledge. And he discovered that from the year 1500 to 1900, we doubled our knowledge of medicine and hygiene once every 87 years. Our knowledge of geology doubles once every 46 years and genetics knowledge doubles once every 32 years. So with that knowledge, obviously... Nikenji, we came closer and closer to knowing things for good and for always, right? Of course not. Some discoveries canceled out or changed our understanding uh, of the discoveries that came before. So the effect on our accumulation of knowledge as a species requires that certain facts, i.e. the truth of a certain era, expire. And so Abrisman said... There are basically three types of facts. One, facts about right now. Those expire all the time. I'm sitting, I'm standing. The, it's sunny right now. It's day, it's night. There are facts that are pretty stable, but don't change a whole lot, right? Like the earth is round. The universe is big. The sky is blue, right? Imperial stouts are better than hoppy IPAs. Like these are facts that are pretty stable. And then... There are what he called meso facts. These are facts that change every few years, and we could all list tons of them. They're very common in medicine, right? Eggs are good for you. Eggs are bad for you. Things change. And that's where the title of Arbsman's book comes from, The Half-Life of Truth. He studied how long it takes for a truth to decay by half, just like a radioactive material decays by half. It's called a half-life. So he's applying it to the idea of facts. Facts in certain fields have different half-lives. It takes about 45 years for half of all of our current medical understandings to be disproven. He tells a story when he introduces his book that most medical students are introduced to the idea that everything you're about to learn will be wrong by the time you retire. Mesofacts are the devils in the truth, trust, fact sandwich. So here's what he had to say specifically in his book. And I, I pulled a little, 
little bit out of it. And if you'll indulge me to read it to you, I think it's it's can ex- explains it way better than I ever could. <laughs> and it probably won't have any cheap shots at dentists or beer. <clears throat> Ever-changing facts are all around us, he writes. But there is often a disconnect between the state of knowledge around us and what we hold in our minds. This disconnect can sometimes be quite large, and it can be due to a wide variety of reasons, from factual inertia to generational knowledge. Happily, there are ways of doing our best to avoid being so surprised when we encounter a new bit of information. Some of this involves simply recognizing systemic ways in which we update our own personal store of knowledge or by using technological tools that help us stay a bit more up to date. But we can also be aided by something more general, by recognizing the regularity in how knowledge changes around us. The truth, this is me again, the truth, this this changing truth makes people crazy. And we are in the middle of that. Like we are, we have lived yes. that for 138 days where new things come out, new bombshells every, every six minutes where now we are doing this and now we're wearing masks and it turned out they lied about masks and it turns out you can't pass it along and children can get it. People are unaware of the underlying small changes that result in a large shift. But in this immediate time regarding Corona, people are painfully aware of the small changes that are resulting in these large shifts, right? Nobody ever heard of smartphones until Apple unveiled the iPhone, except that there were tons of small devices that pointed toward the possible development of an iPhone device. But people who weren't studying that weren't aware of that. So from their perspective, oh my God, the iPhone changes everything. Pluto isn't a planet anymore. How could you say that? Yeah, that bums me out. Right, because you didn't, participate in the conversation and the series of discoveries that people who actually like for whom blessing planethood on is their jam right right no i'm just i'm just like bummed out that like i always knew pluto was a planet i grew up with that knowledge and now all of a sudden it's not it's like very it's not and you how are you gonna feel about that i feel shitty Right, because I just told you you're wrong and are dumb. Right? Yes. In in a certain sense, I just told you that, no, you're wrong and dumb and don't understand things. It turns out the malleable nature of facts creates distrust. Right? If teachers and scientists can't get their shit together long enough to figure out if Pluto is a goddamn planet or not, how can they be right about anything? So, this brings me to trust and the idea of empiricism. Do you guys know what empiricism is? Empiricism is a theory that states that knowledge comes only from a sensory experience. I can only know what I see, feel, touch, or do. This ties directly into our conversation about mask wearing. Coronavirus isn't real because I don't know anybody who's been suffered from coronavirus. It's just a cold. Do you know anybody who's had it? No. Have you had it? No. 
we say on this show all the time that everybody is an expert in their own experience and that you have to speak your truth. But like, does that mean we're where it stops? Right? It's complicated. And it turns out that as people, we are phenomenally bad at applying empirical thought toward ourselves. Cognitive bias is eating our babies. And because of that, it's surprisingly easy to manipulate us into believing that it is not eating our babies. See also the intelligent design argument against evolution and the tendency for humans, mostly boomers, to believe that they're the best generation and that the current upcoming generation is the worst. Cognitive bias. So how do we know? What do we do? And that's where I'm at. That's where I came to. I do have some ideas of what we can do with regards to this, but given that we have to trust in something and that whatever we trust in is probably going to be replaced in the future, what do we do? I mean... I mean, are these rhetorical questions? When do I get to talk, Abe? No, this is this is where I'm throwing it to you. This is the, this is what I've prepared. I I don't know what to do. This is where I got to. Like I I have I have one small answer that I will go to at the end. But I'm asking you guys, given all of this nonsense that I just spilled out about fish that aren't real that became real that are now in video games, and the fact that I have a bad attitude towards dentistry. What do we do? I feel, and this, of course, is, you know, this isn't a fact. This is how I feel. But to me, when you talk about facts and meso-facts and, like, truths and, and, and that kind of thing, I'm a person, my philosophy, and I don't get the nitty-gritty of the math, but this sounds to me a bit like Schrodinger's cat. And I do think it's possible for there to be a silicant and to, for there to not be a silicant. Like, like my brain can allow for these two things to be true without breaking the infrastructure of believing in the scientific um, process. And so when I think of like people, like what's happening today, especially with coronavirus, right now we are in the throes of scientific process and people don't understand that in many ways you're failing forward. And I think what is important for the process of, for mesofacts is that in the moment at which you declare this to be a fact, you did your best best analysis, best attempt. This is your best proposal of what the fact is. And so, yeah, six months from now, we'll discover that coronavirus can be absorbed through our skin. Like the fact of the matter is, is that at the time we thought you could just like inhale it and that's the problem. And to me, when people people get up in arms and they're like, oh, like scientists are lying to us. The problem is, it's just that people are seeing it happen in front of them because things have to move so fast and so quickly that, and and honestly, media journalists are terrible at reading um, research. So when when you say things like eggs are in, eggs are out, like really and truly, like if you read most of the articles and the research that they're based off of, it's like if you read this fucking thing, you would understand that in no way, shape or form that this study applied to generalizing to the to the larger world. But like we don't care about that. We just care about headlines. So like I feel like it's a mishmash of things, but. 
at the very end, beginning of it, like, I feel like I'm a person that I believe in Schrodinger's cat. Like, the cat's there and the cat's not there. So for me, this this concept of, like, oh, information can be a fact and then, a, a, well, not true in the blink of an eye. I'm like, yeah, okay. Welcome. You said it really, really well, Nikenji. And the ugliness of what is happening in this time is is Trump is kind of weaponizing that scientific process he's using rhetoric to say like well dr fauci was wrong once well of course he was wrong once like that's how science works you have a hypothesis then you do studies they're they're trying to inform us of what their best knowledge is in this time and place they're going to be wrong but trump is using that to say like oh well fauci was wrong so he doesn't know either and um i, I think that's really a lot of what is our problem right now. I think it's really interesting to then take the next step, which is ask yourself, what does a change in facts look like to someone who is risk and harm avoidant versus what does a change in facts look like to someone who is novelty seeking? Right. It's 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 really interesting that you say that. Like, I almost feel like I, I have the luxury to be mad at you about saying Pluto's not a planet. Like, but when when push comes to shove and when health is on the line, I'm going to believe the experts every single time. Like they know more than I do. I didn't do the research. They did. So being advised by knowledge is the only way to go in my mind. Sure. And what do you do when someone, someone who I think you'll know who I'm talking about, has an unlimited amount of, of money to spend on putting a call in your telephone that says, President Trump has done all that he can do to protect us from the coronavirus. What do you do with that? It must be true. I got it on my phone. <laughs> Right. He left a message. The president wouldn't just leave a message that wasn't true. And that creates this cognitive dissonance around trust. Nikenji, you talk about Schrodinger's cat, which I love and went out of my way not to bring up because like the idea that a cat is both alive and dead at this moment is is so incredibly delightful to me because I'm a novelty seeker. Most people are going to worry about that cat. And I don't know what to do about that. I don't know how to make, make that better for us, like in the world right now. Maybe we don't have to. Maybe that's not our job. Okay. But, okay. but when dealing with people who are swayed by things like that voicemail, I was reading some article that was talking about like how you deal with conspiracy theorists. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you do is you ask who benefits most from this message. Who benefits most from the action that you're seeing is happening or has happened? Who benefits? So who benefits from that message? Right. Right. And 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 that, I think, gets to exactly the one thing I was able to come up with for an answer to what do we do, which is a phrase that I think you guys will remember and recognize. Trust 
but independently verify everything. <laughs> oh no! You know, you know what? I have to, I have to push back on this. Because... I'm just hoping you would. <laughs> I love, I love that. I love, I love that. But I can never really use it with other people I know because they don't get get it. Like get it, get it. But like I was reading an article the other day that talks about this notion of independently verifying information that you cannot possibly fathom or completely understand has led the public, specifically in this case, Americans, into believing that they have the skill set necessary to evaluate whether or not vaccines cause harm when they can't fucking read a statistic to save their motherfucking life. But yet this idea of trust but verify, well, they don't even trust, so they don't really adhere to this anyway, do they? But like this idea of like, well, I'm going to do some research on it and come up with my own opinion. Right. Trust, but verify everything means don't trust. (laughs) (laughs) That was always my argument, right? (laughs) People people say that they're verifying, but can you like, can you really read like the the empirical information. So like, maybe you're like, oh, don't read, don't trust everything you read in New York Times. So you're like, okay, I'm going to actually read the study on which this was based, if there was a study. And if it doesn't cost $25 to get exactly. out of storage. <laughs> yeah, and right. Can you actually understand and, and what that means? Because most Americans that I have met don't understand how any of that, like, like okay, so people who ate eggs had lower blood pressure. You'd see a fucking article where people say, well, like, you should eat eggs. And it's like, no, who was in the study? All white men, <laughs> all white college go- aged going men. And you're going to explain that to a diaspora? Like what? I actually do think, though, that the, like there's a point to be made here in what you're talking about that relates to media literacy and relates to like the the like how seriously you take the trust but verify mindset like does trust but verify mean to go find some news sources that you believe are true and validate what piece of news you're reading or does it mean to go and test it out yourself (laughs) because like 99 percent of us or i i don't know like i think most of us aren't going to go and try to do it ourselves well some of these non-mask wearing people seem to really be attempted well yeah that's true (laughs) that's true but it does seem to me like there's there's a huge there's a huge gap in our society in people not being literate of media and not understanding um kind of what you were talking about with that conspiracy thinking Nikenji, like how to validate your sources, how to understand what is true right now and what is not true. And I, and I just, I don't think people really think all that hard about it. I think, you know, they pick Fox news and then they always watch Fox news and that's what, that's their source of truth. They're not like validating that with other sources. And sometimes it's actually so basic where I think, and sometimes, honestly, and I mean, I mean, I'm not saying that we're better, but I am just think, thinking back to growing up in Barbados with reading comprehension tests that you do for your English courses. Everyone had to be able to get the same general idea from the same goddamn fucking sentence. And if you couldn't do that, then like you didn't get the question right. And I think. Like, there is something to be said about how schools kind of, like, like uh, 
copy and paste human beings out the the factory but there is something to be said about having a people who actually like if you if you gave them a sentence like maybe more than 50 percent could grasp the same thing from it and when i say that i mean like I have come across people here who, and I'm sure I would come across in Barbados. I simply have not lived in Barbados as an adult. So don't, don't be thinking that I'm saying things are better, but I come across people here and I reflect on growing up doing that because people don't understand when, like if, if a news broadcaster says something, is he quoting or is that his opinion? When they're reading articles, is this a direct quote? Is this a paraphrase? Is this the 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 journalist's opinion? And what is the difference between the two? And I feel like if people could do that, we'd be like an order of times better off than where we are at. But people will really sit down and listen to Fox say something like the president is being attacked by Democrats. And it's like, <laughs> this is this is the newscaster's opinion. It's not a fact until they provide sources for this fact. Like, Although it's being presented as a fact. Exactly. Even and so people think, oh, yeah, the Democrats are attacking the president. But like where? And to be like, I'm not going to attack just Fox News. I see this on like other stations all the time, too. And I kind of hate it when it comes to news now, because I feel like there should be news. There should be some talking heads, but there should be some portion of the news that's actually just reporting on the news without editorializing. It's it's actually why I think services like Reddit and Twitter are so valuable because they're pulling information from different sources and and it's kind of all presented in the same place where it it lends itself to you kind of questioning like okay is this true is this not true weighing how much you trust the sources whereas if you only went to like Fox News or only went to CNN you're, you you may be you're just getting one company's collection of truths i have taken a lot of flack uh for telling my students to begin their research I emphasis on begin their research on wikipedia and the reason is not because that's enough and now you know what you need to know to write an article although it is you can get a pretty solid c just by sort of paraphrasing sure. wikipedia but the reason i go to wikipedia as a source is because i love to read the talk page the talk page will tell you what is what is controversial about that art article the talk page will tell you who's been changing what and when and the thing about wikipedia is it fails wonderfully right like if somebody changes wikipedia anybody can edit it like you'll be able to see that it's there for you it's open so perhaps the solution Perhaps the solution to marrying truth and trust is complete open openness to discussion, open source, right? You don't know how to write your software in open source, but somebody does. And you know, they're not hiding anything in it because that, you know, you can put your trust in that guy, right? I don't know. Anybody else have final thoughts? Otherwise, I'm going to move just real quick into 
the one thing I found that I agreed um, was, I think, my takeaway, because I don't want to just shit on <laughs> trust but verify, otherwise known as don't trust. <laughs> <laughs> I I would just say I th I think I mentioned this a few episodes ago but I read this super forecasters book which is really focused on the idea of having strong beliefs that are loosely held and I and I think that's been the key for me and that's how I've been trying to be during this whole um crazy time is just you know when I hear something that passes the you know my test for truth I uh, internalize that and, and act on it. I spent way too many hours reading different articles uh, about this. From all things, I cannot believe that my, my salve for my truth and trust hurt came from the fucking Harvard Business Review. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, the, the, pe the People magazine of fucking entrepreneurial <laughs> of CEOs. <laughs> Harvard Business Review. Remain vigilant and always question. Once we've made the decision to trust, we tend not to revisit it. And that's dangerous. When we're hungry, we think about food until we've satisfied our hunger. And then we move on to the next thing. Human beings seek closure. And that's true of our decisions and trust dilemmas as well. We worry about the trustworthiness of a prospective financial advisor, and so we do our due diligence. Once we've made that decision, however, we tend not to revisit it so long as it seems that nothing has changed. Once we've made a decision to trust, we tend not to revisit it. So what did we learn? Well, I have four lessons from today's conversation. One, Nikenji does not get into the nitty gritty of math, which if I did not believe in the malleability of truth, I would call her a liar. <laughs> For I know that math means things to Nikenji. <laughs> However, there is such a thing as temporal flux, a cat that is both alive and dead. And so for that, I'll forgive her. Nick didn't do his research, but he knows a guy who did. <laughs> and he's okay with that. <laughs> it's always a good idea to ask yourself who benefits from this information. And finally, one must revisit the decision to trust because if we put all of our eggs in that one basket and then that basket falls although we may still have enough eggs to get by we won't have enough for the future that's okay because we're not supposed to be eating that many eggs anyway <laughs> And even if we do, <laughs> it'll probably be okay. <laughs> Boy, I didn't think that was going to get there. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs>